Welcome to the teaching ministry at Crothers Creek Community Church. Thanks, Beth. And good morning, everyone. Really glad that you're here and uh, on this unbelievably hot weekend, eh? Wow. What a weekend that's been, this has been. Uh, again, a hello to you who are watching or listening online, wherever you might be, in a cottage or in the province or in a different place of the world. We're really glad you're joining us as part of Crothers Creek's family this morning. If there's one thing that we could say about our culture, it's that we're an entertainment culture. And at the heart of our entertainment culture, one of the great things that defines us and will define us in history is the production of movies. There are great movies that transcend time or generations. We, we know many of them sitting here or you watching or listening online. One of the first great ones was The Adventures of Robin Hood in 1938. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I have. Uh, there are so many others. Lawrence of Arabia, Snow White, Apocalypse Now, Gone with the Wind, The Godfather series, uh, the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. You can fill in the blank. Uh, the Sound of Music. These, these are movies that transcend generations. And, and involve all sorts of people, and, and we know them. The hills are alive with what? That's right. You can't handle. Yeah, like these are things that we know. We know instinctively. We, we know these are, are great transcendent things. Now, there are other movies that are not so transcendent, but they define a generation. I am a child of the 80s, and so 13 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Adventures in Babysitting. Anyone remember those? Uh, yeah, they define, some parents are like, I banned my children from watching those. Well, we watched them anyway, sorry. Anyway, uh, you know, these are, these are movies that define a, a generation, and each generation, even though it's getting shorter, can, can call on those. Now, in, in all movies, uh, really good movies, exciting movies, great movies, even some bad movies, there are moments. There are moments in movies that define things for us. They complete the picture. They challenge us. They, ex- they, they move us to emotion and extremes, and they call us actually to respond. Almost every woman, within the sound of my voice, and some men, if they'll be honest about it, when I just mentioned the movie The Notebook, you have something happen. There are moments. See, ha, 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 yes, it's true. The swans, yeah, yeah, okay. There are moments. There are moments that are fun, and there are moments that are terrifying. When I went to go see uh, Saving Private Ryan after an exam in my undergrad, I had no clue what I was going to see. I thought it was just a war film. And that moment for the first 15 minutes, I was dumbfounded. I, I was, it was shock and awe. I did not know what to do with myself. I was moved to tears and then to silence. It was a terrible moment. When I saw Schindler's List for the very first time, there are moments in that film that still evoke emotion. The little girl, right? In the red dress. The person playing the piano as they murder a whole household, and you go, I know it's a movie, but it's a moment. There are, there are moments that you just don't know what to do. There are other moments. I've shared with this family my experience at Titanic. Do you remember I shared that with you? 
It was big, it had just come out, it was going to be a grand blockbuster, which of course it's now become one of the biggest movies in history, and myself and two other guys went to watch it, whole other story, I'll deal with that later. We were embarrassed, we think we went to Mississauga, and we were in a theater, 800 people were in the theater, it was packed. You know it's a good movie when it's packed, right? And so we're in there, and, and so we're, we're experiencing this, and then that famous sex scene came up, and all three of us were pastors, so we did this. And we were looking down at the ground, and this woman beside us was very concerned for us. She's like, are you okay? Are you going to throw up? Uh, you know, is everything fine? And I was I trying to explain to her, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't really want to watch this. I don't know if she was more disgusted that I wasn't willing to watch the sex scene or I was going to throw Anyway, that was a whole interesting conversation. And then you know the end of the movie, right? There's Jack, and he's there, and she's on top of the wood, and the boat sunk. If you didn't know that, sorry, the boat sinks. And anyway, uh, sorry. Uh, anyway, and, and so she's like, I'll never let you go. And he's like, you have to let me go. And he's that really wild blue. And no, no. And then he sinks, right? That moment, she sinks down. And everyone's sobbing. I'm crying. Everyone's crying in the theater. You know, it's just like, oh, my goodness. And then it, it gets to the end of the movie. You remember that, right? And now she's 140 or I don't know how old she was. And, 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 and she's tiptoeing, remember this, across. And no one knows she's out at night. And, and they're over the place where he sank. And, and I know what's in her hand. It's the diamond. I watched the film. It's obvious, but not obvious to all people. And so there was a moment created in the theater where as she opens her hand, this man at the back yells out, she has the diamond. We all, oh my goodness, people are crying again. I'm like, what's going on? You know, like, of course she has the diamond. But then we're like, oh, don't do it. Don't be a stupid old woman. Don't do what you're going to do. You remember? And she crawls up to the, and we're like, all the logical people, don't do it. Oh, she throws it. Oh, stupid old one. What are you doing? That's a billion dollars. And then what's, another moment's created after the theater where the guy's are like, oh, man, it's so stupid. And the wife's are like, why don't you love me? Like, she loves me, you know. <laughs> right? Moments. Moments. I, I think the biggest moment for me, the first one I recall uh, in a movie that defined my generation was the original Star Wars trilogy, and, all right, a few of them, yeah. And it was uh, Empire Strikes Back. I actually went to go see that in the Oshawa Town Center with my father. Probably he snuck me in illegally. Anyway, I was there, and there was that moment where Luke has his duel with Darth Vader. And they have their lightsabers, and they're fighting, and it's intense, and suddenly he's on the sky bridge, and, you know, Darth Vader says, listen, you know, don't make me destroy you. You don't know who you are. And Luke's like, I'll never join you. You know, he always had that really high, anyway, uh, I'll never join you. And Darth Vader's like, no, you must. And then they fight again. And then that's the moment, right? He cuts Luke's hand off and he's holding on. And you don't know what's going to happen. He's like, you must join me. And he's like, I'll never join you. And then he says, Luke, remember, Obi-Wan never told you about your father. He's like, yes, he did, like a teenager. Yes, he did. You killed my father. And he said, Luke, what is it? I am your father. <gasps> Moment right there. And you're like, oh, I didn't expect that. Well, that and Luke and Leia end up kissing and their brother and sister, a whole other different issue in the movies. <laughs> different moment. But back, he says, you know, I'll never join you. And there's that moment where he suddenly understands that this is his dad and everything's wrong in the universe because dads aren't supposed to be like that. They're not supposed to be Darth Vader. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, that, that's it. Now, what's amazing is this. Some of you who are bright among us are going, John, 
Are you saying that this morning your message is going to be a combination of the notebook and Schindler's List and Titanic and Star Wars? Because if so, I am in and I'm willing to pay money. No. (laughs) If God does that, it's a bonus. There's absolutely no way. But here is the point. We love movies for those moments. And those moments, like I've already said, genuinely, if they have impact in culture beyond entertainment, they define reality for us. They complete a picture. They challenge us. They move us to emotion, especially as Canadians. We're not used to showing. And they even call us to respond. Say, well, John, what's the connection? It's this. The book of Proverbs that we're going through this summer was written genuinely as an attempt at a moment. This is where people, generations of God followers, are desperately trying to create a moment that will define reality and move a young adult community in this context to actually embrace the God they've met and also live a life of radical, countercultural, well, faith. Now, we may read this today and miss the power of some of this. But that's exactly what Proverbs was and is. It is a moment where it is supposed to elicit emotion and reaction, and it is calling us to define the world as it really is. So understand that as we read it this summer, because wisdom, if it's eaten, if it's embraced, if it gets in your heart, changes everything that you are, and you then become a moment for others. Now, let me start this way today. As we've learned, time and time again, this whole summer, this amazing book called Proverbs, this book of wisdom, is not a list of guarantees or promises from God. It's not. They are given for one reason. They are given to show us how to love God and love our neighbor and love ourselves. It is a book on godly living in a very dark world. See, Proverbs at its heart is about the prevention of something, self-injury. You never need to be the author of sin against God, yourself, family, or others. Now, this doesn't mean that other people, of course, will not embrace fearing God and reject wisdom and will hurt you. That's going to happen. But if you truly this morning are a follower of God, if you truly are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then wisdom must not only be read or understood at the heart of the matter, at the root, it needs to be actually taken in. For as we're going to learn today, the heart is the wellspring of life. And that is where wisdom must be taken and it must grow from. Now to start, all of us who've been walking through this series, when, when you read chapter 4, and that's where, we're t- where we are today, so if you've got your Bible, turn to chapter 4 in Proverbs, or virtually if you want to go there in a PDA, that's great. There's something very disturbing actually about chapter 4. First, there's almost nothing new that's said. It says wisdom is good, and all the metaphors we've seen, path and heart and treasure are all used again. But even more shocking is this, there is no mention of God in chapter 4 at all. So one of the questions we need to ask this morning, is this just some sort of review that we can skip so we can get on to the good stuff? No. We cannot read our Bibles like we watch television or Twitter with 140 or less. It can't be like that. Sound bites and all, we need to get this. One pastor, knowing our desire to skip to the good things, in our opinion, wrote these words. It is important, he wrote, to set each chapter in the larger context of Proverbs 1 through 9. Each chapter begins to add new information in the sense that it extends the metaphor of choosing a path of life developed in chapter 2. We learned in chapter 2, learn from your parents, 
Don't listen to evil people. Choose the company of wisdom over people who commit adultery. Like ripples moving out of like a concentric circle from a stone dropped in the lake, these themes will play out again and again in the basic relationships we all have in life with our neighbors, our friends, our family, and our marriage partner if you have one. Either we're going to honor these people or we're going to abandon these people. That is what Proverbs is talking about. Again and again, the choice is shown to actually be a choice of life or death. Some of you go, okay, fine, we're back to the fork and road. You warned us that would happen probably 70 times if I read the book, Back to Two Paths. I get that, but John, God isn't mentioned at all in chapter 4. I mean, what's up with his absence? Well, that's why we preach books in order in this church. Chapter 3 was heaven's view, God's view of what's going on. He's the one who's watching, protecting, disciplining, blessing, and giving. But chapter 4 is the view from down here. So you need to read chapter 3 and 4 together so you get the complete picture. But unlike the last three chapters, a new character is introduced in chapter 4. Here for the first time, not only is the dad talking, like we've learned, this is like a conversation between a dad and his son. That's the context of this. But now a grandfather begins to speak. And this is the words he taught, the wisdom he gave his son. And he equates wisdom to like a young man finding a great new wife. Proverbs 4.1. Here's the word of God for us this morning. Listen, my sons, to my, father instru- my father's instruction. Pay attention, gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and only a child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Now, this is really an appeal tradition, uh, to, to, to tradition grounded in the Bible. This is the wisdom of generations. This is the call to see that there is nothing new under the sun, that God's word and his wisdom has been tested and tried and given to every generation if they want it. The dad says, I was taught, and now I'm also giving this to you. I know it to be true, son. I have found God personally. I know his ways are true, and I'm pleading you for the moment. I'm pleading for you to know this also. This is not dead tradition, he says to his son. This is not just me as an older guy being old for old sake or being stuck in my ways or I'm afraid to change because suddenly there are iPads everywhere and I'm not used to those. No, no. This is God's eternal truth. As, as one of my professors, Chuck Kraft, wrote, the father teaches and communicates with the son because he wants the son to value what he values and maintain the character that he maintains. He wants his son to share in his, this is it, ready? Inner likeness, just as he already bears his genetic likeness. This father gets something that so many don't. He doesn't just care if he inherits the family business or, or that he's proud of his son because he's just a good guy or he's successful. This father is deeply concerned that this son actually doesn't just look like him or behave like No, no. He wants something much more, something beyond the father. He wants God's work and will in his son. That's what he's after. Chuck Kraft wrote, Jesus modeled this what our relationship with the Father is supposed to be like. He, of course, being the second Adam, came to reflect God's DNA, His glory in His life. Therefore, His teaching about fathers and sons points to the idea, the desire of God to have children, sons and daughters, who will not only please Him, but actually will reflect His glory, His inner likeness. There's an old written idea, really a poem, about this idea from a source unknown, and it goes like this. 
You got it from your father. It's all he had to give. So it's yours to use and cherish for as long as you may live. If you lose the watch he gave you, it can always be replaced. A black mark on your name, my son, it can never be erased. It was clean the day you took it and worthy name to bear. When he got it from his father, there was no dishonor there. So make sure you guard it wisely after all is said and done. You'll be glad your name is spotless when you have to give it to your son. Powerful, challenging, sobering, because at the heart of the call of parenting actually is to pass down God's likeness. See, this brings us to see the great need for wisdom as worship and wisdom as we live life itself. That's why the grandfather said to his son these words in verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding, don't forsake or forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom. She will protect you. Love her. She will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. Acquire wisdom, the grandfather says. Whatever you do, whatever else you get, buy, or have, make sure that you give wisdom. It's better than money. It's better than sex. It's better than power, family, history, education. It is better than anything you can earn, buy, or inherit. And the question is, why? Well, here's the answer. Because wisdom allows you to honor God and honor other people with those items you've been taught your whole life are worth everything. Without wisdom, money, sex, and power become the incubators for self-injury and sin. Does anyone agree? This is huge. So the grandfather says, don't forget that wisdom's words are not just supposed to be heard. They need to be held. They need to be embraced. Now, don't miss the power of these images this morning. It's important. You may feel uncomfortable with what I'm about to say to you, but this is what Proverbs says. The father and the grandfather always meet the son where they're at. The call to embrace wisdom and the images of love and garland and crown tell us actually this is about pursuing a young woman. Later in Proverbs, we see the connection in chapter 12. A wife of noble character is her husband's crown. The father and the grandfather knew one image would stick with a young man. I know they said you want love. I know you want a life partner. I know that you long for many sexual encounters with a committed singular lover. With all the emotion and all the energy and all the passion you have for that, you need one thing, wisdom. You need the same drive to know God. You need the same drive to know how to live for God as you would for that partner. And as you know, God and his ways will actually find you probably a woman and you will love her and she will love you because you have wisdom. There's a reason why time and time again in the next few chapters, the son will be warned about sexual misconduct and adultery. This really is a call or it's put in the language of courtship. Love, embrace, don't forsake, suggest a marriage. And the son is called to be intimate with wisdom as he would be with a woman that he loves and he's committed to. See, the truth is, if we're going to be honest this morning, There is no act, if done in love, and that's the key thing, in the bounds of marriage, that bonds a man and woman together like the act of sex. 
So the same here. This is the language that they use. The son needs to be bonded in the deepest way. He needs to have one mind with God's word. See, only when you see the sensual overtones in these images do you really begin to see the powerful call we have and God has on us to know and have wisdom in the deepest part of us. We are called to be bonded with God and his wisdom like a husband and wife are bonded in one mind after they have intercourse together. That shows you the intensity, the depth, the non-superficiality of the call. Well, after the father had repeated his father's God-influenced advice, suddenly the chapter changes. And we're all brought back again to that fork in the road. Those two paths. One path, he says, is good, pure, full of life. It stems from relationship with God. The other is crooked. It's evil. And unlike the other path, it's full of darkness. God again says to us gathered this morning, wisdom is not a once and for all lifetime decision. Wisdom must be daily sought after. It is a lifetime commitment, yes, but it will include many rededications, many falls, many repeated rises. This is about covenant, which over time is supported and strengthened by one agreement faithfulness. Listen, my son, verse 10, accept what I say and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and it will lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to my instruction. Don't let it go. Guard it well. Here's an interesting thing. For it is your life. Not it's connected. It is your life. This is about dedication and discipline. This is about loving light. This is about hearing that you will not fall or stumble. But as the father is about to point out to us and to his son, the other road that is well-traveled by many is full of compulsive evildoer whose lives are shrouded with an ever-increasing darkness, which in the end will prevent sight and will cause people to stumble, fall, and then even die. The father says strongly these words. Do not, verse 14, set a path on the wicked or walk in the way of evil people. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn from it and go your way. For they cannot sleep till they do evil. They are robbed of slumber till they make someone fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The question this morning is, does the son become the victim of these people? Or is he joining the group of young thugs that just love doing evil? The answer, everyone, is yes. If you go over to the dark side in any way, it will lead to self-harm and the harm of others. The metaphor of eating and drinking is used to show how evil is ingrained, is normal. It's just what they do. As one wrote, just as we all eat food and ingest drink and it becomes part of us, so these people eat and drink violence and it's just normal and it's part of them. The Father says the path of righteousness is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Light, darkness, seeing, falling. These are the only two results we will have in life, whether we embrace or reject the idea of wisdom. The warning is given time and time again. We're given the grandfather's Sage wisdom. We are all reminded, no matter our age this morning, here or online, about the two paths. And this is to those who have not met Jesus yet and to us who have. But now we are moved from tradition and the fork in the road to now one of the strongest pictures of wisdom. The image used here is of a healthy body. 
Wisdom is when God and his will are worked out in the core of our personality. It's character on the deepest level. Verse 20 reads like this, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and a health to a person's whole body. Above all else, ready? Guard your heart. Everyone say it with me. It is the wellspring of life. You didn't say it with me. You got to say it again. This is important. Say the whole verse with me. Verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. This is huge. For you who just did that on the go train and people looking at you, well done. Thank you for saying it. This is significant. This is it. This is the whole idea. This is the foundation of all of Proverbs. Guard your heart. Guard the seat of your intentions, your thoughts, your emotions, your motives, your mind, your will. Your heart is who you are. Your heart is how you think. And if you put wisdom inside, you will have life come out of you. Why? Because wisdom is life. Now the question is, how do you live a guarded heart? How do you live out of that? Well, as you see above, it's what you put in, but also it's what you choose not to allow to go in. The outflow of your life at this moment and my life will reflect the heart we already have and will mark already the path we're already walking on, straight or crooked. He told us to keep God's word, but he also then says very quickly these words. Hear it this morning. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Is this about what you say? Or is this talking about what you hear? The answer is yes. Don't listen or speak evil or wicked things. Run from gossip. Run from dissension. Run from slander. Run from lying or harming others with your words, what you write online or you say in person. But also guard your mind and, and, and what you hear and what you see. All the crap in the world that continually is thrown at us. Images, my friends, do not forget this. Images have power. Words have power. This universe was spoken into existence. Words and, power, words and images have power. They sway. They have influence. They form us. They shape us. They influence us. Actually, they're very close to having God-like power. Playing with evil in any small or large way will always steal, drain, and vandalize and disturb how God has desired our life to look like. That is why we are called, and this is how he ends in verse 25. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only the ways that are firm, the ways of wisdom. Do not swerve to the right or left. Keep your foot from evil. There's a song that I remember hearing at Calvary Baptist Church where I became a Christian in Oshawa. And here it is. Do you know it? Be careful, little eyes, what you... Be careful, little hands, what you touch. Because the Father up above is looking down in love. That little rhyme is the heartbeat of how you guard your heart. We may say, you know, mock the song or laugh at the song, but if we followed the song, would our families look different? Would we look different? Would our church look different? Be careful, he says. Keep your eyes on God himself and the wisdom he gives. Make the choice to love God and obey him every day. For if you do this, you will end up loving yourself and others. One so profoundly wrote these words. The repetitive emphasis on protection drives home one thing. Life is fragile. It is easily lost, robbed, or vandalized. Life, listen, everyone ready? Life is not a reward. It's a gift 
that has to be preserved, nurtured, and cared for. Any carelessness can lead to a wrong turn on the path of evil and its life-destroying force. To summarize, the father, just like his father and mother before him, knows that each generation needs to choose to know, know God in a personal way, to follow him deeply and for real, to love God and love wisdom. He knows from God and from history and from every day that as the poets wrote, the heart can remain beating, but a person can be dead in many other ways. An evil heart really is just a dead heart. What we learned this morning from Proverbs 4 is this. Proverbs are God's wisdom to us so we know how to love him and others. Proverbs are about self-injury prevention. They are also about preventing us from injuring others and God. But beyond that, let me speak and be done with a few of these words. Everyone ready? This is, this is when you really need to listen. I want to just mention salvation this morning. To some or many of you that do not have a living relationship with God through Jesus yet, before all this wisdom can ever be applied, before you can ask what is God saying to me through his word today, you need to actually have a heart that is alive. To keep a heart, you actually have to have a living heart. The Bible says we all have hearts, but actually they're stone. And only God can give us a heart that's living again. As Eugene Peterson in the message wrote in, out of the book of Ezekiel, I'll cut out your stone heart and replace it with a red-blooded, firm-muscled heart. I love that. Then you'll obey my statutes and be careful to obey my commands. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. As I shared a few weeks ago, if you're not a Christian, you will never find wisdom in its fullest sense. You will never live a fully skillful life unless you meet the fountainhead of wisdom himself. And how do you meet God? There's only one way and only one path, for there is only one God and one mouth that gives wisdom. There is only one that has shown us God fully, and his name is Jesus Christ, who we worship this morning. For he does not just represent God, he is God in flesh, and he's come to clear a path back for all of us. To meet God, you need to give your life to Jesus, and then the wisdom comes. You must trust, you must humble yourself, you must declare that yes, you're a sinner, but you are also loved by God, even though you may not know it. Paul, who murdered Christians and then met Jesus and became one of us, wrote these words. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God really raised him from the dead, you will have relationship. You will be saved. And when he does that, God gives you a new heart to guard. At the first gathering of Christians in history, there was a conversation because all sorts of Jews had become Christians, but all sorts of non-Jews started becoming Christians. And it's amazing what was written in that moment in Acts 15. This is still for you who have not met Jesus yet. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted non-Jews by giving them the Holy Spirit, uh, giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us as Jews. He made no distinction between us and them. He purified their hearts by faith. If you enter into a relationship with God this morning, you will then learn how to fear God. And now you can begin this life-changing journey to see God move into your life, your work, your family. You will experience forgiveness. You will never be alone again. And you will actually know God. You will actually hear from God. And you will learn how to live a wise life. This is God's gift to you this morning if you would embrace it. Others of us here today have done that. Many of us. In small and large ways, we've done that. So you ask the question, well, John, what does God say to us today? Well, two things, and here it is. Above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. What's the take-home for us that know the living God? Well, we need to really actually guard our heart and not just hear about it today. 
As one pastor challenged his church, he said these simple things. I've heard many teachers urge me to be careful about the contents of the books I read and the films I see and the music I hear, asking me to consider what I keep in my heart. And there's truth there, and that's right. But, but, we miss the idea that guarding here is more like protecting a treasure, uh, keeping what's important, either losing or abandoning it. In Proverbs, wise people guard their hearts not only by keeping harmful influences out, but more importantly, putting wise teachings in and actually keeping them. You say, well, John, what is God trying to say to you this morning? It's this. God comes to all of us who love him and says, you really actually have to guard your heart because it is the wellspring of your life. You would never fool around with your heart, your physical heart for real. Why do you play around with your spiritual heart and think it won't go into cardiac arrest too? This is how we have a guarded heart. We actually need to know God's word. We actually really do need to know this. How can we store up God's wisdom in us if we don't even know his wisdom? You won't get it the first time you read it through. It's about long-term faithfulness and commitment. But we need to know God's word and his wisdom because that's what we store up in our heart. And then when we approach situations, God's word is already in us, whether in concept or memorized, and we know how to respond. A person with a guarded heart knows God's word. And when he faces or she faces a situation, she actually obeys God before she would obey herself or the devil or the world. A guarded heart is a heart that is full of God's truth, full of God's promises, full of God's wisdom, and then we learn to obey them. Then also a guarded heart is when we say no to all the stuff that is dangerous. Notice what he says here. He says, I will watch where my feet take me. God comes to some of you this morning and says, your feet continually take you, virtually or for real, to places of violence, places of lust, places of slander or self-hatred. He is saying this morning, do not quickly place yourself in, in areas or positions that will bring death. It will reside in your heart and will bring death to your heart. A guarded heart is a heart full of scripture. A guarded heart is when we, over time, start obeying those scriptures. We obey God's will. And we, over time, start drawing lines that are needed for us individually so we can do this. God comes to some of you and says, it's time to meet me. To all of us, he says, don't mess with your heart because it's serious. But I end here in a very different place. I'd like to challenge all of us to think beyond ourselves. Even though there's a choice given to each generation to meet the living God, to embrace his wisdom, here we see the possible blessing and supernatural power of many generations of God followers and their power on their descendants. The son here, listen closely, is not lectured with dysfunctional church culture and things that don't matter, but church people have used God's name to justify them. We see three generations that have really heard and obeyed the heart of God. Many of us that grew up in church resent that we did not get to do, you know, the Darth Vader thing, the dark side thing. Yet when we see that a family is not burdened with religion or legalism, but truth and grace, generational wisdom and faith actually becomes a great gift of God. I want any of you this morning who are parents or grandparents, uh, family in any way, blood or spiritual, to hear me so you can be challenged and encouraged. Your life isn't your own. You are praying and building into and preparing for many more to come after you. So live a holy life. Pray. Be honest about doubt and struggle. Don't 
Don't fake things in our movement. Know scripture. Be generous. Live a life of wisdom. Choose the path of light and not darkness. If you do, you will end up being the father or grandfather quoted to generations to come. And if you are the first person who's met Jesus in your family, be encouraged. God has chosen you to become the beginning of a godly line in your family. Whether you know it or not, you are now the grandfather or grandmother. Grow in your faith. Grow in your understanding. Put wisdom into practice. For you now are the spiritual leader in a very lost world called your family, born and unborn. I want to speak and say to all of us that love God and follow him, never forget today that our life isn't our own. It's always about others. We are charged to love God so we can love others, and the many we love are our family and friends. No matter how well you've done up to this point, whether you're 20 or 80, make the decision today to start moving closer to God, closer to wisdom. Say every morning, listen, I I choose to live for God and for others. I I I want to live for others, Uh, those I know and those I have never met yet. This is not my mission I'm joining God's mission. I choose light so the generations coming after me will not have to go through the process of renouncing dark DNA that I just thought was okay for me. When tempted to sin, to spurn wisdom, remember others around you and those you don't even know. And so be encouraged. Because if you've been faithful, there are eternal ripples that you will not even see till eternity. God says to some of you this morning, well done. I am pleased keep going. Continue in an unwise world to to say that what you think is foolishness is wisdom and what they think is wisdom is actually foolishness. Be encouraged for wisdom worked out in the boring mundane parts of your life over time will build up and God will be praised and children and grandchildren both spiritually or physically will begin to look back and say that person knew God and I want to be like them. God says to his church this morning, if you've not met me, meet me. He says to all of us, guard your heart, never fool with it. And says to many of us, never forget, you always have the chance, if you love wisdom, to become a father, a mother, a grandfather, a grandmother, to the generations coming, because they are going to need wisdom in a way that we, we have realized we need to. Thanks for being with us today. If you want to know more about our church or give financially, go to our website at www.crotherscreek.ca.